0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Murray Gamer podcast. This is the pilot episode of this podcast that will hopefully become a regular thing very soon. I'm Pete Davison from murraygamer.net and I'm joined by my good friend and longtime supporter, Chris Kasky, which I've learned today is not Chris Kasky. Yes, which hadn't even crossed my mind. <laughs> um, So for those of you who are coming to this podcast without having stumbled across my site, uh, first of all, I'm a former games journalist. I used to work on US Gamer, GamePro and a few other sites you probably haven't heard of before that. Uh, And now I write about Japanese games and visual novels all the time. Um, As for Chris, I'll let him
1: introduce himself. Hi, everybody. My name is Chris Kasky. I'm a uh, artist and writer based out of southeastern Pennsylvania in the USA. Um, I have not done anything anybody's probably aware of, but I do share my own artwork at MrGilderPixels.com, where uh, I dabble in paintings, um, classic style digital pixel art, and some of my own digital and uh, old school sketches, drawings, etc. Uh, so make sure to check that out if you have the chance. And I also like to talk about video games all
0: day, every day. Excellent. This stuff's very good if you haven't checked it out before. So do make sure you check it out and give him money for it as well. So, <laughs> you know, there we go. <laughs> Get Always the plugging out of the way first. Wonderful. All right. Okay. So we're going to start our discussion today with um, talking a bit about some of the recent news. Uh, with both our respective interests, this is probably going to have a a bit of a bias towards sort of the Japanese and Japanese-inspired uh, games. So. If you're looking for AAA goodness, then uh, go elsewhere. Basically, <laughs> all right. So the first thing I wanted to bring up then is um, so Sega recently announced uh, that they are going to be doing an HD re-release of Shenmue One and Two, uh, which people have been crying about for a long time. I, for some reason, on my Twitter account, I've had a Save Shenmue account harassing me for about the last five years or so but uh it seems that either that finally came to fruition or sega has uh, decided this all along um silicon era posted uh, a few new screenshots from the uh, the hd remake and uh well what, what are your thoughts
1: well I, this is probably where i begin making enemies like right off the bat in the first episode <laughs> of the podcast but i'm thrilled about the Shenmue remake. Uh, from a historical perspective and from an archiving and accessibility perspective. Um, but in terms of actually playing Shenmue again, I have no desire to do so. I've, I've never really been a big fan. Um, and I, I think this is going to be an opportunity for people to really face the rose-tinted nostalgia glasses a bit and realize that those games were quite unintuitive and not nearly as fun as they think they are. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh,
0: I, I I do I do have some fairly vivid memories of, of back in the day when it first came out of everyone raving about it and I, I spoke to my brother about it and he said it was in his opinion it was one of the most boring games that he'd ever played because it was just about rummaging in cupboards and stuff um, yeah but um but then then I picked it up and I, I I quite enjoyed it because it was I mean for all its for all its faults and it is quite boring but I, I feel like a certain element of that is deliberately so and I, I found the idea of a, a highly interactive world like that to be really interesting. And it's gonna be interesting to revisit that from a, a modern perspective, I think, because yeah. we we do have sort of super detailed worlds now in, uh, in a lot of our games, but we they tend to sort of err on the side of not being that interactive, if you know what I mean? Sure, so, sure. Well, I I don't know if you remember, there was a fashionable term a while back called the immersive sim. Uh, people like warren spectra and that were big into this sure sure it was the it was the idea of of having a game with a world that you could wander around and you could sort of pick up objects and chuck them around and there was usually a physics engine involved so you could sort of fling dead bodies around the place and that sort of thing and shemmo i think was a uh, an early example of that sort of almost taken to an extreme i think like you didn't need to be able to open every cupboard and look at all the white shirts and pairs of jeans that rio had but uh on the whole I th- I I think it was a game that I liked and I'm certainly interested to to revisit it and see if it's any better and one thing I am definitely looking forward to is being able to play it without that atrocious dub. <laughs>
1: <laughs> listen, listen. That's one thing I do fondly remember. <laughs> I do not know a man named Londi, and that is the end of that. Um no but 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 uh you know the, the thing that about Shenmu without going on too long about it is uh, although i'm not the world's hugest fan like i like to make a a very clean division between games i respect and games i actually Mm. want to play and like you know from a historical perspective in terms of design ambition and what it tried to do which was essentially completely new nothing but the utmost respect for shenmue which is i don't have a desire to go back and play shenmue one and two but but as i mentioned earlier i i'm I'm delighted that it's going to be Something that exists for, for people, yeah, for people to get their hands on and and to explore from um, from a design perspective. And I think there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from Shenmue, especially in terms of you know, as you kept mentioning, being able to open every cupboard, being able to interact with things. Um, one of my greatest gripes, and I know you share this, we've talked about it in the past, about modern AAA games is um, they can you know large, completely explorable worlds is now part and parcel of everyday gaming, but these worlds are still incredibly empty, especially in a A um, mm. open world style game, things like Assassin's Creed. They fill these worlds with beautiful things, but you still can't do anything with them. Like fire up Call of Duty and like unload your machine gun on an office chair. Like, the office chair doesn't get damaged, it doesn't react with physics. So, like, something as old as Shenmue still had this world where we could walk into a home, open cupboards, go to a a, a capsule toy machine, interact with it. Like, this level of immersion is something that we don't have, even though games are bigger and more beautiful than they were in Shenmue's day. So there's a lot of design um, lessons that can be learned from playing with it, even if it isn't the most fun thing to play today. It's still a really fascinating Mm. piece of design history
0: yeah definitely um what do you uh, i'm conscious we've spent a while talking about this already but what what would you say uh to the people who say that the yakuza series is a successor to Shenmue? do you agree with that or do you think that's uh, a different track
1: no I, I i'm very much in line with that um degree of thinking and i think um my, my experience with the yakuza series is, is not incredibly deep but um what I find about it is that it takes many of the things I liked about Shenmue, that explorability, and uh, mm-hmm. most importantly, which I think is the real heart of Shenmue, is being in a lived-in world that you get to participate in everyday life of, yeah. which that's to the Yakuza games, too. It takes that and adds what I always found missing from Shenmue, which is... Um, Actual mechanics and and like you know fun (laughs) fun fun arcadey combat and a world that's not only fun to be in but a world that's fun to play in as well and I thought I always felt that second part fun to play in was what was missing from Shenmue.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I think Yakuza sort of trims a lot of the fat. So I mean, it's it's got this world and it's got interactivity, but it, it doesn't overdo it. So like, it doesn't have you going out to work and doing a job and stuff. Although there there is sort of stuff that you can do repeatedly like the sort of hostess side quests and the running the bars and that sort of thing but that's all optional the thing in Shenmue is that fucking forklift truck driving but you had to do that for like two in-game weeks to be able to progress the story it was just a nightmare
1: <laughs> no it's like I, ha- I, I have to do that st- I have to work garbage jobs I don't want to work in order to play games and have fun in my real life I don't really need right that. Yeah. Although, okay. to be fair, I will defend no more heroes up and down for forcing you to do the same thing. So, I guess I'm, <laughs> a, I guess I'm a hypocrite, but that's a discussion for another time.
0: Yeah. It works for some things, I'm sure. Alright, I'm going to hand over to you. Is there something you
1: want to talk about? Uh, Yeah. Uh, recently um, released on Steam, there's a really interesting um, game called Land of Glass, which I thought was really cool looking. I haven't gotten a chance to play it um, yet, but What it essentially is is a tactical card battle game um, with a really interesting hook, um, being that it actually functions in real-time, which is abnormal for a card battle game. It doesn't pause to let you make your decisions. Um, It's not turn-based. Um, which is very unique. So, you kind of have to make like flash strategic decisions, uh, which I thought was mm. interesting. It also has a very beautiful um, stained glass aesthetic across everything the characters, the environments. Like, it's wholly dedicated to replicating that look, um, which I thought was unique. It has a very strange visual profile. Um, so, I don't know if I'll have time to check that anytime soon, but I encourage anybody. To uh, check that out, it's, once again, it's called Land of Glass by Dual Wheeled Software, um, and it's currently available on Steam. Um, really artistically interesting, and sounds like it has some cool design decisions going on.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's quite interesting to see the the card battle thing combined with. Um, so, I mean, I'm going mostly on screenshots here, but it's it sort of looks like it's um, sort of gone with a sort of almost sort of Bastion style viewpoint. I mean, it describes it as collectible card game meets action RPG. So there's obviously some sort of uh, I mean I'm, I'm struggling to make out what the images are showing me really but i, yeah. I, I guess there's going to be like like movement and sort of doing things in real time like you say Yeah, and, yeah but that all being dependent on the cards
1: yeah yeah exactly I don't know how familiar you are with the grow lancer series but it, it kind of strikes me as being a lot like grow lancer in battle In grow lancer the characters almost walked around the stage with AI with like in an, in an RTS kind of way and then once they right. met you would make menu selections for the combat and it seems to be a bit like that
0: okay that sounds interesting yeah the 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 one thing i wouldn't want from a a card battle one is did you ever play the kingdom hearts game boy advance game no no i I haven't (laughs) that had the weirdest combat system ever like just doing a basic attack you had to have the right card in your hand and all sorts it was it was weird so it it doesn't look like it's going to be like that but that's sort of my benchmark of what not to do when you're combining a card game with something Mm. else
1: have you ever played um (laughs) Monolith Soft, the the Botan Kaidos games. I haven't. No. Those those are a bit like that. Um, and, and it's a standard turn based RPG, but everything's driven by cards. So like when you when mm. it's your character's turn, they draw a hand of cards, and then like if you have a shield in your hand, you can defend, or if you have you know if you draw your magic attack, you can use that. But I rather like it, those games, so maybe I would have liked that Kingdom Hearts, but it's Kingdom Hearts, so I probably wouldn't have liked it mm. any, anyway. I mean, the the, the kind
0: of uh, card hand mechanic is uh, seemingly quite a popular thing in the board gaming circuit at the minute. A friend of mine's uh, recently picked up a, I think it was a Kickstarter project called Gloomhaven. Okay. And uh, that's a sort of... I mean, it describes itself as a dungeon crawler, but it's a, it's a bit more like Descent, if anyone listening is familiar with that, in that you, you sort of have a, a, a predefined map rather than going and exploring, and it's different scenarios that you and your party go and do. And all of that is driven by cards. There's no dice rolling or anything in that. So each card has got things like an initiative value to determine how quickly someone moves, and there's some cards have move actions on them, some have uh, special attacks and, and that sort of thing. So that's that seems to be quite a quite a popular mechanic for people to experiment with at the moment
1: yeah i mean card card anything is huge right now i mean the, pe- mm. people have warmed up so much to like gotcha elements and mobile games and i think um even if it's subconsciously i think that's warmed a lot of people up to the way card-based gaming works as well i mean those of yeah. those of us who've played magic our whole lives have been doing gotcha our whole lives right buying buying booster packs <laughs> so it's all kind of the same mentality, and I think, um, especially with the success of Hearthstone, re- really mainstream yes. digital card based gaming,
0: yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, yeah, Hearthstone's a big one, and as you say, mobile games are, are huge for this sort of thing as well. And the um, it helps that the the kind of gacha games on mobile have kind of um grown in complexity and interest now. So, like, I'm I think back to five or six years ago when i was covering uh, facebook and social games <laughs> um and uh, the idea of, of card battle games that were coming out of japan there they were so simplistic it was literally a case of collect the cards with the biggest numbers on them and you will win
1: yeah i remember trying to like bahamut and, and being like why am yeah. i even playing this there's no actual decide there's no decision making there's no game here
0: yeah absolutely whereas you, you compare that to something like grand blue fantasy or Fate grand order now and whatever you might think of the the business model behind those. There's, there's some definite interesting mechanics going on there now. So, I think that's, as you say, that's uh, that's helped people to sort of uh, expand their horizons a bit and try uh, more interesting things. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on then. Uh, this is going to be an interesting discussion. I think so. Uh, Gimatsu reports that uh, Housemark has announced a new game called Stormdivers, which is described as a high-flying and heavy-hitting multiplayer-centric experience that runs on a combination of the studio's in-house VFX engine and Unreal Engine Four, and uses Amazon's Game Tech server infrastructure. So, I love Housemark's old stuff. It, it is proper sort of old-school arcade games uh, with uh, a modern coat of paint and glorious glorious um particle explosions and things shattering into voxels and that sort of thing uh but uh i i see a headline that says housemark announces multiplayer centric anything and i kind of cringe a bit so uh what do you think
1: oh yeah i mean I, i i check out at multiplayer if there's one if there's one thing that anyone will learn about me in these casts is i i check out at multiplayer centric gaming um I also am a huge fan of Mark. I couldn't tell you how many hours I sunk into the original Super Stardust HD on the PS3. Um, absolutely love their design aesthetic, their approach to development. So um, when I read the news that this new game was coming, um, my initial response was, I can't wait to watch a couple videos of people playing this on YouTube and then never touch it mm. myself. Like, I can't wait to see what it looks like because it's Mark. But I really have no desire to play it because it'll likely be exceedingly competitive, and that's just not where I go for. I'm not a competitive gamer in any way. I don't want to fight other people or shoot other people, or yeah, it's
0: just not. I mean, it is. It is worth noting at the minute that all they've released so far is a teaser trailer that doesn't really give very much of an indication of what the game's going to be about. Um, but I mean, judging from what I've seen in that trailer and the screenshots
1: are, it looks it looks a bit bland. <laughs> i have I have no doubt because by its very nature multiplayer centric design requires some of the artistry of game design to be sucked out like mm. you, you have to create something that is not geared toward the enjoyment of a, of a single person once you create yeah. something that's ha- that has to be open you basically have to create a playground for participation. And that's very different from the artistry involved in developing a single player experience. Um, so, by their very definition, most multiplayer centric games have a blandness and a, and a sameness to them.
0: I, I think that's kind of an interesting point, though, because I mean, House Mark's games have always been very mechanic centric anyway. Um, and I, I'm not sure that. Okay. I, I'm not sure that the multiplayer version necessarily has to be bland, because it, I mean, if you if you look back at like Resogun and Super Stardust and so on, it, the the actual mechanics of those are very simple and would be easily adaptable to sort of a multiplayer format. Sure, I but I think it's 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 just more that like the the images in the video I've seen so far. I mean, it's it's just things like the color palette and stuff looks mm. very washed out, and I'm I'm used to very sort of vibrant colors and sort of in, obviously inspired by our old arcade games and that sort of thing, and this just this just looks generic more than anything at the moment i mean i'm, I, I'm open to being pleasantly surprised but uh sure i'm, I'm
1: always open yeah. to being pleasantly surprised i think my i think my biggest concern really is with this new house smart game is obviously i'm going to check it out because i like to see most games even ones i'm not particularly interested in but um they made it very clear not just in this event but in a lot of interviews and stuff months ago when they had made it made a line in the sand and said, we're done with arcade style games. Um, Obviously anything they do in the future is going to have their their unique touch to it, but it became very clear from them that they're no longer interested in doing what they used to do because what they used to do has proved to not be financially viable. And Mm. what I worry about is in chasing that kind of new directive to not do what they always used to do in hopes of hopefully being more successful financially is they're going to lose sight of what made their games interesting in the first place, the artistic and the design based decisions that made their games wholly unique. I feel like that's probably the first thing that's going to go because they're going to, how can we make the next overwatch? How can we make the next, uh, fortnight? You know?
0: Right. And now, now, I mean, I guess, I, I guess that is one thing we can be grateful about. Isn't it? It's, it, it they're not calling it a battle Royale game. So that's one thing we can be thankful for, at least. I sure, <laughs> sure.
1: There's enough of those. Not that there's anything wrong with them if they're what you enjoy, but market saturation is not good for anybody. All right,
0: I'm going to head over to you again. What are, what else you got for us?
1: Uh, most of the news stories I had written down to talk about this week are mostly just me being angry about mobile games. So <laughs> I'll actually flip-flop and talk about something mobile-related that I am interested in, which is um, Another Eden, which is a mobile game that's gaining some popularity right now in Japan, which is actually considered by many to be a spiritual successor to the Chrono, uh, Chrono Cross and uh, Chrono Trigger, um, is going to be coming to Switch. Um, I don't know too much about the game in terms of gameplay. I don't know how the free-to-play elements factor in in Japan, but um, the original writer is Masato Kato, who is the guy who wrote the story for... Uh, Chrono Cross he also worked on Chrono Trigger and Xenogears and music is by Yasunori Mitsuda so um, Mm. there's some real creative chops in this game so it might be worth checking out Um, always always take things with a grain of salt when mobile transitions over to console because once again I don't know how things like DLC and free-to-play business are going to factor into what it is but um, I always like to look back when I try to be optimistic about these things to, uh, the Nintendo DS version of puzzle and dragons, which, yeah. which I sunk about a hundred hours into, um, because it was just totally adapted with all the free to play business excised out. And it was a fully functional game. So, um, if this, another Eden can make the transfer to console and be modified to be a, a console or handheld game without the free to play elements, um, I encourage everybody to Google it. The visuals are adorable, brightly colored. Um, it looks like something worth playing. So hopefully. Mm. Hopefully. This yeah,
0: is good I moves. mean, again, I'm, uh, we're just going on screenshots here, but it's yeah, it's got a really lovely look to it. It's got a sort of Almost a two D side scroller look to the exploration sequences. From the look of things, mm-hmm, yeah, with sort of uh, move, moving in and out of the screen and going side to side and that sort of thing. And that's that's kind of a style I really like. And the battle scenes look lovely. So
1: yeah, everything has kind of a glossy, like toy like sheen to it. It's it's a uh, kind of a fa- almost like a fairy tale aesthetic. It's uh it's very cool. It's very neat, and I very much like to get my hands on it. Hopefully, it's not tainted with too much FTP garbage.
0: Mm. Well, I have to wait and see on that, I guess. Yeah. Alright, so uh, last thing I want to cover then is um, Platinum Games apparently are interested in bringing the Wonderful 101 to Switch. Did you play the Wii U
1: version at all? I did, yes. What do you think? I'm not a fan. Um, I love Platinum, but uh, Wonderful 101 is probably my least favourite Platinum game. Um, specifically because of the necessity of using the touchscreen right so if a switch version happens and they modify it in such a way that the touch screen is no longer necessary it could be an amazing game because Mm. i absolutely love a lot about a wonderful 101 um i love the cheesy theme song i obviously love the nods to tokusatsu hero like the whole theme of it's beautiful and the visuals in it are so distinct because it really just looks like you're mashing things around in a toy box like and that's a really cool look that i really like in games when they look like toys captain toad being another example any game that captures Mm. that like interactive toy box look is really special to me so um hopefully a switch port of wonderful 101 makes it something i can enjoy more
0: yeah let's hope so i mean um it'll be interesting to see how they handle it because the although the switch has a touch screen i haven't actually come across many games that Use it very much. There's only, I think, one I know of that actually requires you to play it in handheld mode and use the uh, the touchscreen which is a music game that the name escapes me at the minute. Voez, uh, um, I think. I don't know. Boaz, how, that's yeah, the one. How to yeah.
1: pronounce it.
0: Uh, and I mean, that was a, that was a mobile port anyway, so um, well, that's so that's a... that's not all altogether surprising. But um, yeah, I I, I I I'm I'm yet to play a Switch game where you use the touchscreen at all, to be honest. So. Well, you
1: can't, right? You can't play it on a TV exactly not it's not possible so all right okay anything else you want to bring up um no castlevania grimoire of souls uh, new castlevania for mobile i have no more mobile with an exclamation point um new wild arms <laughs> mobile new castlevania mobile so in the past month my two favorite franchises in all of gaming period have crushed my dreams um at, le- <laughs> at least there's some pretty new ayami kojima artwork but you know i'm gonna play it because it's castlevania but i don't have high hopes because it's gonna be gotcha right like it's already like the artwork has like eight classic heroes on it's clearly gonna be like pump all your money in so you can maybe draw a la card like i'm not i'm not playing yeah, i'm not playing mean, konami's game
0: i i'm just struggling to picture how how that format will work with castlevania so, I mean, I guess you could unlock new characters and stuff that way, but uh, I mean, it, it it just doesn't seem like something that would naturally fit with it. But I mean, there are gotcha bullet hell games out there. So what do I know? Yeah,
1: I mean, who knows? Who knows?
0: All right. So uh, that brings us to the end of our new segment. I think we're going to take a short break now and we'll be back in just a moment with some uh, discussion of the things we've been playing recently. So we'll see you in a moment.
1: Isn't life dull? What we need is a Sega! That's a games console! Plug me in a thing for really life up. You, you can get loads of Sega games like Outrun, Double Dragon, Shinobi, Ghostbusters! And the, and, the, and the graphics! Well, and you can buy extra bits like these! 3D! Oh, you
0: look weird! weird. Okay, do us a favor! Plug me into a
1: Sega! Now whack on the packs and I'll get back to sleep. Alright, well so let's uh let's have a discussion about what we're playing right now um slash enjoying right now because i probably got way too negative in the in the last block complaining about mobile ports
0: so, never that doesn't sound like you
1: No. right so uh i am currently um deep in my backlog playing the original dragon quest heroes which i absolutely love um not just as a fan of musou games but also as a fan of um uh, Dragon Quest in general and specifically I really love Dragon Quest spin-off games because I find Akira Toriyama's artwork like super delightful and lovable so like any game I can possibly play that has it in it I love so uh have you played Dragon Quest Heroes I can't remember I
0: I have not no I own a copy but I haven't fired it up yet and um, I'm quite interested to hear a bit more about it because I like Musou games but uh from what you've said of this, it's a little bit different to your standard format, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. Well, let's hear a bit more it's about it. It's
1: not really a Muso game in the pure sense. Like, that's kind of why they didn't call it Dragon Quest Warriors. Um, like, it was a very specific um, a very specific effort to distance itself from that. Um, mm. So basically what they've done, and um, from what I understand, this gets even more intense in the second one, but I haven't played the second one yet, is uh, what it, what they've really done is taken kind of the one versus a hundred whatever the classic cliche tagline of the muso games is and uh kind Hmm. of tried to fuse that arcadey action with stronger rpg elements so you it's a it's a lot like a muso game in a lot of ways you have a, a roster of characters who have different weapons different fighting styles different abilities but um they As they level up, you actually get skill points that you can invest in customizing the characters in different ways. Um, enemies drop loot like in a standard RPG, and then you can actually, uh, there's an accessory creation in the, in the, there's a hub where you get your missions and buy equipment, and you can create and meld accessories in different ways. Um, you take on missions. Um, some of them are... Uh, Fetch quests, classic RPG style fetch quests to get certain numbers of loot or kill a certain number of x enemy, all very RPG quest. And um, the actual minute-to-minute gameplay takes the huge hordes of a classic Dynasty Warriors style game away. You're never usually fighting like 100 or 300 guys at once. There's still a lot, a lot yeah. of enemies on the screen, but it's a much more contained kind of thing. And there's larger boss monsters in the crowds. That have a bit stronger abilities and higher amounts of health which i guess kind of works like the officers in the muso games did but they're big but yeah. they're big it'll be like a dragon um and then there's tower defense elements so so like right. as you play the game you'll uh monsters you kill will drop uh monster medals um and then those monster medals actually let you summon that monster as like a loyal sentry to defend the point you summon them to So like in, I'd say maybe two thirds of the levels in the game, it'll be like, oh, okay, well here's a priestess in the temple. We have to defend the priestess. So as you play the game, you're running around the stage taking the enemies out, and then collecting those monster medals, then running back to the Priestess, summoning your golems and dragons and whatever to protect the Priestess, then going back out to continue wiping the enemies out, but you have to ensure that like your mark is safe with those tower defense elements. So there's a lot of mechanical hooks in there that are different from your standard Musou game.
0: Hmm. See, this sounds great. Why haven't I played this yet?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite good, and I'm I'm about thirty five hours deep into it now. I've beaten the main story. I'm just doing the end game stuff and like collecting ultimate weapons and stuff now. But mm. it's uh, it, it's rare that I sink that much time into an actual Muso game, and this is coming from someone who loves them quite a bit. And I don't usually put more than 15-20 hours into a Musou game because I I do get tired of it after a while. Mm. But the RP all the RPG yeah, hooks, I- really drove me to continue playing this one
0: yeah i mean it sounds like a really interesting twist on it and i'm, I'm glad they're kind of experimenting with the format a bit because I, I mean fair or not one of the most common criticisms of the whole musu genre if you want to call it that is that the games are sort of very similar to one another but i think between stuff like this and hyrule hyrule warriors is a bit more of a traditional example in that you've got the the sort of strategic stages, but then it's also got this adventure mode stuff in it as well, which is very different, again, in structure to, to what you described there. So I think it's good that they're finding different ways to experiment with the overall formula. Yeah,
1: of it. yeah. And from what I understand, like I said, that the second Dragon Quest Heroes takes a lot of those RPG steps even further. Like, I guess you, there's classes for the main characters that you can switch between, like job classes. So um, uh, I remember reading an article, I think it might have been on Kotaku or, or somewhere, where... They basically said Dragon Quest Heroes 2 was like their surprise favorite RPG of the year. Like the RPG elements Mm. in it had become so ingrained. that It felt more like an action RPG, like an Ys or something, than it did um, a Musou game. So I'm really, really excited to check 2 out as well. Even though I don't like the characters that they picked for 2 as much as the characters in 1.
0: Right yeah it's an interesting one because i mean it it, everything i've read about it seems that it's very well received and everything but it's one of those ones that just doesn't seem to have been discussed very much at all
1: yeah 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 the spin-off games specifically kind of get brushed under the i mean i'm sure when dragon quest 11 comes out this fall everyone's going to be writing articles about it non-stop but yeah it's like when a game like dragon quest heroes comes out it's like i feel like everyone does their review and then it kind of doesn't get talked about again right but it, but I but I quite love it, and it's rare that I spend a lot of time in Endgame in the game. So that should tell you how mm. much I like it. Usually, once I roll credits, I'm pretty much done with the game. But I'm trying to collect the ultimate weapons, trying to see how many more trophies I can milk out of it, which is not something I often do.
0: Yeah, well, sounds really cool. So is is that been the extent of what you've been playing lately, or is there anything else in there as I've well? I've been
1: um, playing that and. Um, I recently got to hang out with a good friend of mine who had bought um, uh, Dragon Ball Fighters, so right. I got to play that a little bit this weekend. Um, that was excellent. Um, really, just every every word of praise I've read about it so far is quite well deserved. It's a v- very intuitive fighting game, um, and you always feel like you're doing something cool. Like even if you're just button mashing, you're like you're zooming ar- you're yeah. zooming around, stuff's exploding everywhere. Like it's it's makes you feel really powerful when you play it, which is what a good Dragon Ball game should do. Um, right. I, mean, I can't.
0: How How is it on the sort of accessibility front? Because, I mean, you know from previous discussions with me that sort of fighting games for me traditionally have been quite a sort of inaccessible genre for various reasons but how how easy is this one to get into do you reckon
1: yeah oh it's quite easy to get into and that's kind of what i was just speaking to is uh, no matter what you're doing it looks cool and you're having a good time Mm. like you may not be pulling off you know like 32 hit chains and stuff but there's a button just to do like that like dragon ball like light yourself on fire rocket boost across the screen <laughs> like you just pull the trigger to make that happen and it's like it in that instantly transitions into a juggle which you can turn into a combo like they made right. it really easy to not only do neat things regardless of your skill level but really actually feel like you're like producing an episode of dragon ball it's kind of cool
0: that's cool it sounds like a good balance between sort of um something for dragon ball fans and something for fighting yeah. game fans as well so so sort of the dragon ball fans can get something out of all these cool moves they can do but there's there's some mechanical depth there definitely i know i know the the fighting game community in general is, is going nuts for it at the moment so that's a good sign yeah
1: it's it's and, and and obviously i don't know if, an, if you haven't seen it in action it's visually one of the most striking games i've seen in years Uh, it basically dragon ball fighters looks in motion what when i was 12 years old i imagined video games looking like in 20 years i was like
0: when i was a kid (laughs) i was like
1: one day games are going to look like interactive cartoons and like dragon ball fighters really is like that like times a thousand like it's unbelievable how smooth and crisp and colorful it is and like to be like the the sensation of controlling that like animated action like so flawlessly it's it's really quite something special they've really hit the nail on that with it
0: yeah oh, good good to hear the hype was deserved on that then you got anything
1: else for us no I, I think that's it i mean i've been fiddling around playing arcade shooters and name a lot but that's the same is true every day of my adult life so there's nothing new there <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I mean, my my gaming is is generally um, determined by what I'm writing about this month, as you know. So most of my month has been taken up with Blue Refraction by Gust, which uh, you can of course read more about on Moegamer.net. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying that. I'm uh, coming up on the end of it now. You will absolutely hate it because <laughs> it's uh, it's so so dialogue heavy. Um, the, the, the main point of it is not the RPG point at all, uh, which I think is, is quite an interesting approach. Um, the, the the main point is very much it is you are a 15-year-old girl going around doing 15-year-old girl things. Also, by the way, you're a magical girl and there are demons and stuff. But that latter aspect is a surprisingly minor part of the whole experience. The the sort of appeal of it is is the fact that it's got this, this really well-realized little little world, and it is a little world. It's pretty much just the school that you explore. Um, and it's got these characters that you get to know over the course of it and, uh, sort of all their personal stories sort of culminate and come to a head by the end of it. And there's this nice mechanic where in boss fights, all of the, all of the characters that you've been developing these bonds with, um, you can sort of equip them as supporters. It's like, there's a, there's a narrative thing where when you, when you've stabilized their emotional fragment and give them a special ring, then they, they don't, freeze in time when these giant monsters appear so that they can come and support you in combat and each one of them's got this emotional fragment (laughs) but then you'd have to fight giant tree monsters so you know swings and roundabouts Um, but uh each each one of these supporters has got this just wonderful adorable animation that's unique to each of them and it just captures their personality perfectly so it's like one girl is like sort of the the delinquent gamer girl, and like her special move is just just like her chucking a can on the floor and then booting it as hard as she can at the bus and it just looks ridiculous, but it's amazing. Um And there's there's another one who's like who's like the beautiful girl of the school, and like she 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 does her makeup in front of everyone, and that makes everyone feel better and that sort of thing. So I really like. But yeah, like it's that. it's yeah it's 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 a really interesting game because they've obviously just gone right we want to do some some unconventional shit with this and they've just sort of run with it like the the whole small scale of it and the the presentation of it and things like the music and stuff the music's amazing it's quite unlike any game soundtrack i've heard at all because it's got this strange blend of sort of Blinky Plonky, relaxing sort of mood music with piano stuff, and then the battle theme sort of combines these really thrashing drum beats and sort of dubstep bass lines okay. and stuff. And it's a it's a really it's a really odd combination of things, but it works so well. Um, and it's it, it's just really carved out this niche for itself. But absolutely no one has said anything about it online anyway. I
1: remember it just came and passed. Which is, with like, I I couldn't even really find many reviews of it when when it launched
0: yeah exactly and i mean i mean gust isn't the biggest developer out there but they usually get a bit of attention for things like the atelier games and stuff like that but this this sort of came and went without any real fanfare at all and i mean it, it's got its flaws here and there so like like, like i say it, people with sort of your your taste in things and not pre, not preferring sort of very narrative heavy things they'll probably find it quite boring but it it is it is a game that is worth experiencing just for all the unique things it does i think yeah
1: well it's it's even even you know i was able to immediately identify that it wasn't a game for me basically just based on the fact that was developed by gust but but i did immediately fall in love with it visually Mm. and there's i visually there's nothing like it with the the pastel tones and the softness and there's a certain crispness to it um if there's I'm a menu guy. I know we've talked about that in the past. Yeah. Like, I love uh, user interface design and will geek about games with good, like, beautiful user interface design. I don't like Persona. I buy every Persona game just to fiddle around in the menus. Like, <laughs> like And that game is not quite on Persona's level, but it has a really unique um, visual design and like a preoccupation with diamonds. Like... Be- yeah, beautifully yeah. slotted next to each other in, like, satisfying geometric arrangements and, like, just watching footage of, like, a battle sequence and, like, the way the menus pop up and flip around, like, it's clear, like you said, that they were interested in doing something very, very different, which, um, you know, like you mentioned in response to Dragon Quest Heroes, um, Omega Force gets lambasted a lot for doing the same thing over and over. And it's, it's the same thing with Gust. People don't give Gust mm-hmm. a lot of credit because people who aren't into the Atelier games... Feel that they're all the same thing, so it's really it's really cool that they made a decision to do something with an extremely unique visual profile and some really really cool gameplay hooks that sound like they tie into narrative in a really unique way. So even though I have Mm. no desire to play it, I do have to give it major props for being something that's clearly different from what else is on the market by that developer.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, one of the interesting things about the aesthetic of it is that the the character designer Mel Kishida is the the same guy who did the Atelier Island games on the PS3, and yet it's got a much more distinctive style for that. And I mean, part of that is the is the better technology. So I mean, the you, you mentioned how sharp it looks, and the, the the whole game uses really really high resolution textures um, in the, for the backgrounds and things. So like you can, you can do things like you can you can read the spines on books and stuff, and you can read the notices on walls and stuff, and on the PS4, that causes the frame rate to absolutely tank. But you know, it, it looks amazing. And one thing I mentioned in my article about it this week is that the the whole thing is just directed beautifully, like from a sort of cinematography mm, perspective. That's nice. It's 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 it's, it's not. Um, so like, I I haven't played an Atelier game since the Ireland ones uh, to my shame. But the the older ones of those had very sort of uh, visual novel style um, conversation sequences that were sort of uh, sort of bust shots and talking heads and that sort of thing. Even when it was real time cutscenes, whereas this is using all sorts of interesting camera angles. It uses lighting. Um, it's sort of like big climactic scenes are often at sunset on the school's roof. So there's like this lovely sort of uh, bloom lighting effects coming from behind people and that sort of thing. Thing. and there's just a real sense that they've thought of the whole thing from almost like a filmmaking perspective as much as a game design perspective and yeah, it just it just looks beautiful. Yeah, it
1: sounds like they've really made an effort to highlight um, the drama aspect of the game by taking that cinematic approach. It's, yeah, essentially- definitely
0: um and so at the other end of the spectrum then um <laughs> ne- next month's cover game on the site is going to be Galgun gun 2 um but since i got the switch version and can play handheld i uh, i cracked it open a little bit early to uh have a bit of a play at lunch times at work this week and uh yeah that's that's looking like being a lot of fun um and interestingly first impressions are that it's it's a very different game to the first one i, I mean you, you didn't you didn't play the first one no did you?
1: no i never got around to it Mm.
0: So so structurally, the first game was very much like a traditional sort of light gun rail shooter. So you generally had one or more different levels that you could go through. It would take you on a predefined path down them. And along the way, you'd get uh, girls popping up in predictable locations each time. So you could sort of learn where they were. You could learn what their weak spots were. And so in theory, if you got good enough, you could do like a, a perfect run of the game. Um, Galgun 2 takes a different approach in that... Um, I I have a feeling it was originally designed for VR because it seems to have quite a bit in common with uh, the Galgun VR that they released on Steam a while back. That was more sort of a tech demo because it didn't really have any like sort of narrative content or real game structure to it Whereas, whereas this is all first person perspective and a lot of it is sort of interacting with the world by looking at things and then hitting the button to confirm that sort of thing so it feels like it was a vr game at some point but it's just been adapted to more conventional controllers okay but it really works um so rather than being a set protagonist like you were in the first one you are you you are a self-insert in this case so um during some conversation scenes and things you can look around you can zoom in on things and you can sort of see what's going on elsewhere in the room while someone's talking to um and then the, the levels themselves, they, they unfold from various different vantage points. And rather than moving a cursor around while the, the background moves for you, it's sort of a, almost a, a quasi first-person shooter type thing where you, you move your whole perspective around and the sight stays in the middle of the screen. So it gives it a very different feel to it. Um, and then as you progress through each bit, you sort of move from predefined location to predefined location. and Sometimes you have a choice of places to go and so on. Um, and I haven't really got far enough to sort of look at how things like the relationship mechanics work and stuff but it seems like they've they sort of stripped out the stat based stuff from the previous game which had a, a sort of dating sim style thing where you're, you had four stats and they went up and down according to who you interacted with and what items you used and so on. And it, it, they were only really relevant in one of the modes where you could basically date any of the female characters as well as the, the, the sort of main uh, errands of the narrative. Um, in this one it seems like each day in the game you have a series you receive a series of messages of sort of requests from people around the school to do stuff and fulfilling those requests in various ways allows you to develop your relationships and so on and then you can invite them out to do things and interact with them and that kind of thing and you have to have them like you enough to invite them back to your room and that sort of thing Um, so yeah it's, it's looking like being a an interestingly different game from the original, with a a very different structure. So rather than playing it through like an arcade game, you've got a a twenty day time limit basically in order to try and achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve in it. I'm not far enough to say exactly what that's supposed to be yet, but. Uh, yeah it's, it's looking like a do, good one uh,
1: do the things you complete or unlock that you know of carry on to like if you don't achieve like the main goal of the 20-day limit like do you get to carry progress forward into like the next loop kind of thing like like that kind of groundhog day style gaming
0: i'm not sure um I, I, as i say i haven't really got far enough to to judge that yet but uh, it would surprise me if if you didn't have that sort of thing because the the original Galgun had sort of stuff that carried over um in the, there was a sort of meta game where you had to collect the profile information for all the characters in okay. the game and you did that you did that by finding out what their name was um and and, and then zooming in to take their three measurements <laughs> and um in, in this one you you uh i think you, you you get phone numbers by completing these missions and so on and I, I think stuff like that will carry across and then later in the game you have your um you have your tuning neighbor who knocks herself in her bedroom all the time. I think she upgrades your weapon and okay. stuff as well. But uh, I, I've not seen how that works yet. All, all I've had uh, contact with her about so far is she went on a epic lengthy rant about how good retro games are and how much she hates multiplayer games. So I, of course, immediately fell in Can love with Can we invite
1: her. her on the next episode? <laughs> For
0: sure. For sure. Um so that's pretty much everything I've been playing lately. Uh, so, anything else you want to add before we take another break?
1: Uh no. I, I think that's. Uh, I think that's about it. Like I said, I've been hardcore into Dragon Warrior, Dragon Quest Heroes, and that's about the extent of it. Um, I've been kind of lost since completing Xenoblade Two. Like that consumed <laughs> like four and a half months of my life. So, like I've really been bouncing between games a lot to try to like find something that snags me quite the same way, but. Like no poppy, mm. no sale. Like <laughs> I'm having a lot of trouble finding <laughs> something that I want to play quite as much as. It's been real hard for me to even consider digging into a new RPG because it's just like uh, part of me still wants to go back and do more endgame stuff in Xenoblade.
0: Mm. Yeah, I-, I know the feeling, the the daily struggle. It sits on me on my shelf and goes, you you want to collect all the blades, mm-hmm. don't you? But uh, I- I- that way lies madness. <laughs> I feel. Yeah,
1: you gotta see- you gotta know when to say when <laughs> at some point.
0: <laughs> well you know at least you can't at least you can't pay for them so we should probably be grateful yeah. for that anyway let's take a short break and then we'll be back in a moment to discuss our main topic of the episode
1: my favorite cats
0: if you want to spin gunk get jungle scum if you want to slam dunk like get some. If you want to bring down the best in the world. Or hit your lift on a pterodactyl. Get a cyberraiser club. If you want to smash crash in monster hell. Or fry the demons with electric spells. Uh, oh, no. If you want to be a syca nut. Get yourself a cyber club. Oh, oh,
1: to be this good takes ages. Huh?
0: Okay, so for this third segment, uh, we are going to talk about a specific topic and the, the stimulus for this discussion is a tweet by uh, a game developer that I've had some contact with in the past. He's a guy called uh, Sayama Mishra. I'm probably butchering that name there. But uh, he's a developer from Australia from a company called Witchbeam Games. And they made a wonderful shoot 'em up called Assault Android Cactus oh, a while wonderful. back. Uh, that is a wonderful game. Um, but the uh, he, he tweeted out a, um, I think it was a slide from a recent uh, GDC conference. And it was to do with Sega, um, and the 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 uh, the image was a mind map of multiple keywords related to Sega. And he tweeted out with this caption: "Say like and retweet if you associate none of these things with Sega anymore and haven't for some time." Um, and so this this mind map incorporated the words uh, international, cool, tech savvy, vitality, independent, freedom, future, reckless, roguish, challenger, and youth. So. Uh, I thought it might be interesting to discuss um, both what we think about Sega of today and what our associations with it from the past are, because I, I know we've both got quite strong feelings about definitely the Sega of the past. So, sure. What do you what? Well, what do you think of this tweet then? Do you do you associate any of those words with Sega anymore, or uh, do you think they've evolved? Or
1: it's it's really hard to say. I mean, the one that stands out to me really is. Um, cool, <laughs> but not probably <laughs> in the sense that Sega wants me to associate cool with Sega. I just think about like, um, pr- I'm probably uh, probably on the right track agreeing with uh, your, your uh, developer friend here in that a lot of these things are definitely things I associated with, like, Sega of the 90s and, you know, basically the Sega that made hardware that used to make, like, mm. bold decisions. Um... But there, there are still some things here um, independent I feel still applies quite strongly to Sega um, right I, I feel like they Sega still makes Sega games like they haven't really towed the line in a certain sense like I feel so I feel like Sega's still very much interested in doing Sega's thing I'm gonna see how many times I can say Sega in this segment but you know what you know what I'm saying a Sega game still feels like a Sega game in the same way a Nintendo game still feels like a Nintendo game. And so I I feel like maybe independence certainly still applies to them. I feel like they want to be cool, but forgot how, um, so Mm. cool applies to them. But like I said, probably not in the way they want, um, right. Reckless. Um, I don't know why any company would try to associate themselves with being reckless, but <laughs> I, I think they are reckless, but once again, not in the way that they're probably trying to get us to think of them as reckless in that like, wow, Sega makes brash decisions. Like, no, like Se- <laughs> Sega makes reckless decisions pretty consistently and they don't, they don't, they don't often pay off for them. So it's not a positive thing that I currently associate reckless with Sega. Um, Roguish in the same way is cool. I mean, yeah, Sonic has attitude, and Sonic's attitude was great in the 1990s, but Sonic's attitude is still stuck in the 1990s, and it doesn't really make sense in 2018 Mm. anymore. Um, I love Sonic, love Sonic, Um, but I don't know. I feel like...
0: Do you love Sonic, or do you love 90s Sonic? No,
1: I like Sonic. I I like modern Sonic quite a bit. Um, Mm. Sonic Generations, I thought, was an excellent game. Um, I have yet to play Sonic Forces, but I'm very excited about it um no i i have a lot of respect for modern sonic um i, I actually get in quite a bit of fights about that with people <laughs> because um you know there, it was very popular um it was very popular several years ago to have like the like the hip cool hipster kid um video game journalists were all coming out of the woodwork and being like newsflash everybody sonic games were never good so it's no oh, God, it's yeah. no surprise that they're not good now Like, no, like, I'm, when it comes to game design, I try not to be a person who's extremely tethered to the past. So, like, I Mm. I often understand what companies like Sega are doing when they decide. I mean, all of this is, of course, excluding Sonic um, Mania, which is obviously uh, a nostalgia game. It was um, obviously trying to make 90s Sonic, but, like... experimenting with new mechanics and trying to bring Sonic into the modern age is what is necessary. It's what Nintendo also did with Mario. Just because Sega was less successful at it than Nintendo was at Mario doesn't mean they shouldn't be applauded for trying to translate the things that made Sonic interesting into modern tech. Like, I like right. I like experimenting with modern Sonic games. I think the feeling of speed is cool in modern Sonic games. Um, are they always mechanically tight and, like, 100% do what they're supposed to do no but i usually i'm more apt to applaud developers for trying than i am to applaud them for acing what was safe right so, do you so, think do
0: you think in that sense do you think maybe nintendo plays it a bit more safe with mario than say you do with sonic hey, I, I don't
1: i don't know if i would phrase it in terms of safe and not safe mm. I, I think Both companies, in terms of translating their mascots into the modern era, attempted to identify what it was that defined those characters, and then translate them as best as possible into modern mechanics and modern design philosophies. The things that defined Mario to a lot of people simply translated more seamlessly right um but i do feel like mario has lost a bit of his identity in the modern age because i go back and play old mario games and their balls hard like mario is tough like it's tough to master old 8-bit and 16-bit mario games and um so i guess there's an element of safety in modern mario games um but i just feel like the things that made the defined sonic were more about um kind of image and experimentation and that feeling of speed and like sega's done their best to translate those so i don't think it's a matter of them playing it safe so much as the things they were literally trying to translate to the modern era are not safe things right the speed is very difficult to convey correctly no matter what era of tech you're working in like so right like and it's
0: it's difficult to combine that with with satisfying mechanics as well isn't it? because if you make something too fast to be controllable then it's just not any fun is it so
1: yeah but i mean sonic uh that what's that wii u sonic game, lost world
0: um there's uh, sonic colors is the one that everyone likes that's the
1: last one on the wii sonic colors lost world is the wii u exclusive oh sonic. that's right yeah yeah, yeah. that game yeah. is unbelievable it is one of the best platformers i've played in like the past five years like it is beautiful it has an unmatched aesthetic it's a really bold looking game and it mm. plays beautifully. It's probably one of the most successful modern Sonic games in terms of translating some of the tenets of 2D Sonic to 3D. Like the yeah. the lock-on mechanics onto enemies and springs work better in that game than it has in recent in other 3D Sonic games. Like that game is tight and it does amazing things with um perspective and like interactive, like um, you know, because it has the um, the 3D worlds that you can like run around like anti gravity, like Mario Galaxy style. Right. It's like, so, like you're Sonic and you're running on a cylinder, and you can run underneath the cylinder and stuff. <laughs> like it was really cool. So like I don't know, I'll defend that game strongly. And that was that was full of interesting design decisions that bold, bold design decisions that paid off. It was a really good game. Yeah. So that was both full of vitality, recklessness, freedom, coolness. So so I think Sega really aims for these things on this list and it may not always yeah. hit them. I think part part of the thing is I, I feel
0: just like that Sega as a whole, it just isn't quite as visible as they used to be, which I think is, is part of the reason why people are saying that they don't associate a lot of these things with them. We're not having because... hardware
1: will do that, right? exactly but
0: but i mean but but i mean even even sega games like you, you mentioned talking about recent sega games and like, I'm, I'm actually struggling to think of anything outside sonic that was that was made by sega and i mean i i know i've played some there, there was stuff like
1: binary domain was sega wasn't yeah, it you're not a valkyria guy you don't play the valkyria right. games those are sega yeah those are overworks that's classic sega those the, the valkyria mm. games are by the people who make um skies of Ar- made skies of arcadia right so that's sega um yakuza is sega yeah um but you're right i mean besides a couple of those core franchises they're, they're not that you know we don't get choo-choo rockets anymore we don't get like sega just right. cranking out games with interesting design ideas like we used to but that's largely because yeah. they don't have the hardware to do it when they could self-publish right. on their own hardware they could make whatever the hell they wanted now they have to make safe stuff
0: hmm So I I mean that's part of it. I I I don't know if it's just like nostalgia blinding me or something, but like when I hit when I hear the word Sega now, I still think of like sort of nineties era Sega. Like I will I will forever sort of associate Sega primarily with arcade games rather than the rather than their consoles even, because that's basically what I grew up with. Like albums and afterburners uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. So so like. When when I was a kid, when whenever we'd go on a holiday down to the to the beach or whatever, because we don't really do sort of arcades anywhere other than the seaside over in this country, um, like going on holiday to the beach was exciting because it meant I got to go and play arcade games. So I would play stuff like Afterburner and G-Lock and Outrun and that sort of thing, all the stuff that there might have been home ports of. But the home ports at the time were absolute garbage in most cases. Sure. Um so uh, and then there were things like uh sort of like the R three sixty version of G Lock that with the with the, the ball thing you sat in and it went upside down and all sorts of things. And like this this is still sort of the thing I associate Sega with, even today. And I like I say, it's I just feel like the I, I don't know if it's a hardware thing or not, but I even like the modern yakuza games and stuff like that i don't associate them with that same sega i don't think sure. of yakuza as a sega game i think of it as a yakuza game
1: yeah that makes sense um i mean sega and... still does these things in japan yeah like border break that is coming to the ps4 that has like crazy arcade cabinets in japan like not not to the extent that they they used to but they, they're still experimenting right with this kind of stuff we just don't see it in the west yeah this is not the this is not the stuff for the west anymore Mm. you know but that's
0: a bit of a shame i think because i mean sega did used to have a a semi-decent presence over here and i mean like, like i say the uk's never been sort of particularly big on the arcades but there were a few places around the place where sega had like a dedicated arcade like even in even in the, the city where i live now southampton we used to have a sega world they called it that was basically a sega centric arcade mm-hmm. and they had a lot of sega games there um and then down in london um in the the trocadero center which is a big sort of uh, high-end shopping center they had a, a huge sega world there that was where you'd go and play things like r360 and stuff and there were sort of guest arcade games like they had the full-size ridge racer with the um with like the roads you could sit in and stuff mm-hmm. there as well um yeah, and it's it's a shame we don't get that kind of stuff anymore, I think, because, like you say, it's still going on in Japan, so it's it's kind of a bummer that we don't see that anymore.
1: I think when you talk about Sega as always really associating with Sega with either arcade games or arcade-y, like arcade like arcade-style games, that's mm. really when you hit the nail on the head about their lack of relevance today. Is yeah. because Sega, for many years, was a company very much associated with the arcade and developing mechanically simple arcade-style experiences, like tightly designed mechanically simple arcade-style experiences, which was, of course, a style of game that thrived in the 16-bit era, translated well to the home right. console. Those types of experiences, with the exception of download games and like indie gaming, don't mm. translate well to AAA or double A console gaming. Like, yeah when you think back to like the classic sega properties that you love the most like none of those are translatable to the to modern double or triple a gaming in a way that's financially lucrative like right exactly like, boy oh boy do i love me some um uh, oh goodness i've lost the name of it uh, fantasy zone right fantasy is like one of my favorite mm. games ever but like what does a modern fantasy zone look like yeah it could be a ten dollar download but that doesn't translate well. And I think that's probably a lot of the things that have made Sonic... It made it very difficult for Sonic to become relevant. Right? Like right. Sonic is one of my favorite franchises to pick up and play when I have, like, 20 minutes to kill before I have to leave for work in the morning.
0: <laughs> yeah. like to t- I was going to say, like, an old, an old Sonic game is something you could blast through in less than an hour, isn't it? So... And, like, there's no need for passwords or save games or anything, but... Yeah, so when... So- there's this kind of... Sorry, no, I was
1: say, so when Sega's trying to make a modern game that isn't an RPG, what they really struggle hmm. with is how to take those those small arcade blast experiences and make them relevant into a 10, 15, 20, 25-hour game that someone's willing to pay $60 for. It's just not in their skill set.
0: Hmm. That said, I, I have found it quite interesting over the last few years in particular that we're starting to see a bit of a revival of sort of the arcade style experience at retail oh for sure so i mean we, i mean probably the best example of that is puyo puyo tetris which happens to be a sega game mm-hmm. um but then there's there's stuff like um there's stuff like soldam there's stuff like uh raiden 5 um so we, we're starting to see a bit of a resurgence of people being willing to pick this stuff up and i think there's also kind of an awareness that sort of the idea of the audience for digital games and physical games they might have got it the wrong way round. in that people who are interested in these sort of um i don't know if niche interest is the right word but sort of things like arcade style games and things the people who are into those games with the nostalgia side of things and so on they are more willing to be able to go out and pick up a boxed copy of something rather than just having something in their steam library or whatever that they'll forget about no after two weeks or whatever no
1: doubt I mean, I'm actually more willing to buy those games physically than I am digitally. Oh yeah, But like, totally. I don't think totally. I would buy be... riding 5 if it wasn't released in box in the store for, for me to get.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, I mean, I, I'm exactly the same. I know what I'm like. If I buy something digitally and it's not right in front of me on, I don't know, my PS4 start menu or whatever, then I'm going to forget I even own it after a mm-hmm. while. It's like I've got I've got so much stuff in my Steam library that occasionally I look through it and I think, "Oh, I I bought that, did I?" Yeah. <laughs> and so. it, it t- to me it, to me it just sort of it just sort of devalues that a bit in the I I might have bought that on the strength of it looking cool and thought, "Oh, I'll get to it eventually." And I, I do that to a certain extent with physical games as well. But when I've got a physical game, it's there on my shelf, I can see it. I can look at it every day, and I can think, right? I should definitely get around to playing such and such that day. Whereas, if it's if it's lost in a digital library somewhere, or or worse, sort of in my account and not even downloaded, then I mean, it's it's easy to forget about those things. Sure,
1: yeah, oh, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, Sega, but but Sega, you know, like I said, Sega's classic roots in arcade. I think that probably is one of the linchpins to their, their struggles to stay modern modern modernly mm-hmm. relevant
0: yeah absolutely um but that said i th- i think they would they would make bank if they resurrected some of those arcade titles so i would love to see a re-release of outrun 2 i would love to see oh, yeah. afterburner climax come back again i would love to see more games given that uh, the same treatment that afterburner climax had
1: I would um, i would love
0: after after Bender the climax is one of those ones you, you, am i right in thinking you, you can't actually get that anymore can you
1: i don't i don't think so i don't think so mm. i would love to see them do more of what they did with sonic mania really and um or like get with someone who does um, you know there's so many companies out there nowadays who are making these beautiful 2D games that could only be possible yeah. in modern tech? Like I think about how beautiful uh, Shantae Half Genie Hero is, or I think right. I think about um, the the recent Wonder Boy. Oh my God, how beautiful is that game? Mm. Like s- many years ago, back on the PS2, Sega did um, their Sega Ages series, and they actually remade a lot of the games in 3D.
0: Yes, I remember that. Um,
1: I would love to see something like that. Like imagine. Imagine a fantasy zone made in the style Lizard Cube made to remake Wonder Boy. Mm. Like a, a hand drawn, beautiful world taking the cartoon whimsy of fantasy zone, adapting it with modern tech. Like, that, yeah. Or, um, why can't I remember the name of that? Oh, Space Harrier. What, yes. What, what, think of a classic arcade game that's more primed for like the new age of VR than Space Harrier.
0: Right it's
1: yeah. so, so like they're and like they could do five or six of those make them tight arcadey experiences pop them on the playstation store for 10 bucks a piece or release a 59.99 compilation disc for us i'd buy it i would ins- instantly buy it
0: yeah definitely oh now you've got me wanting
1: glock vr the only, my only experience <laughs> with G-Lock is that I have the Game Gear version of G-Lock, which I, oh, which I would not recommend <laughs> by, any, by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination.
0: I don't think any home ports of that game were any good whatsoever, like even the ones on the more powerful consoles. And I, I think the Mega CD version was passable, but that was about it. None of, none of them could quite manage it because it was... Yeah, it was it was just an incredible experience in the arcade. Sure. it's it, even the the sort of even the the not the R three hundred and sixty version, just the just the one with the sit down hydraulic cabinet was was just so good. And I was always very frustrated back in the day that there was no reliable means of getting that uh, getting that to play at home. And, but I, I'd already been burned by Activision's version of Afterburner on the Atari ST, so I, I wasn't going to make that mistake again.
1: <laughs> Those jet fighters—that's uh, a whole genre that didn't translate well to home console for many years until like Ace Combat came around. Like jet, like jet fighter I, games on console.
0: Yeah, I mean, jet fighters was a strange one because there was there is a huge market for them in the the 16-bit computer era. So, sort of on the Amiga and Atari ST, there was a company called Microprose who made tons of flight sims. Um, there was uh, things like F- F-19 Stealth Fighter, F-15 Strike Eagle, and, and so on. Some of those even hit the arcades. I remember walking into an arcade and seeing a stand-up cabinet with F-15 Strike Eagle, and that was like an in-depth simulation with polygon graphics and mm. all sorts. And it was like, well, well, that's the sort of thing I play in my ST at home. Um, so so there was a big market for that, but it's, it's that genre sort of seemed to peak in about the PS2 era, I think. So like you said, there were the Ace Combat sure. games. as. There's a couple of weird ass games from Taito that I haven't actually played yet, but I, I picked them up a while back called Energy Air Force. I don't know if you've heard of those. At all. No,
1: I'm sure they're I'm <laughs> sure they're awesome though. I love Taito.
0: Yeah, they 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 they, they, they just sound really interesting because it sounds like they they took like even more of a sim approach than Ace Combat did. Oh, okay. Um. So th- those are going to be interesting to check out at some point, but uh, yeah. Anyway, basically they need to re-release Outrun 2, and that's. Uh, that's that's the most important thing out of this whole discussion. I the think the
1: first the first <laughs> game I played when I got my um when I got my FrameMeister and and I got my uh, SCART cables for my Xbox. The first thing I played was Outrun 2.
0: Oh, it's such a good game. It is that game is peak Sega to me. It, like it has all of the elements that I. Have always associated with Sega. It's got the the sort of smooth movement. It's got the blue skies. It's got the happy, chirpy music. It's got the arcade structure. That game. If if someone asks me what is Sega, I I yeah, Outrun too.
1: That's really interesting to hear you bring up like that. That you associate like a certain music style with Sega because I think that's the same for a lot mm. of people. Um, I very I very acutely remember. I think it was on Hardcore Gaming One Hundred and One. They had done a write up on that Rhythm Thief game for the I don't know oh, yeah. if that was for the DS or the 3DS. But um one of the things that they the author of that article had mentioned was that um they always associate have associated with Sega if not with coolness then like a certain strive for coolness and like how inte- yes. and how integral um how integral the integration and a specific approach to music is to Sega mm. is to Sega's approach that like pretty much all the other like big houses don't have that same emphasis on music that Sega has, and like I really I yeah. really strongly agree with that. Like when I think of Sega, it's very difficult for me to think of Sega games without uh, strong musical profiles associated with those games. Like like yeah, like, like Streets of Rage with Yuzo Koshiro's work. Um, you know when I think of Fantasy Zone again, I always think of the music. Um, I can't think of outrun without having magical sound shower pop into my head immediately like m- mm. music and like the coolness of music have always been like an integral part of sega's identity to me
0: yeah definitely i, I and i think w- one of the things that i uh sort of think back so fondly on sega is it, i mean music was a big part of it but they they definitely had uh a distinctive look and feel for their games as well and i think sure. that that sort of started around the era of of things like uh things like yeah i keep bringing up g-lock don't I? but you know i love g-lock um but one of the, one of the strangest things i associate with sega is is big numbers i, I don't know if you know what i mean by this You'll but have to just like just like large numbers on screen like like g-lock had an interface that took up quite a lot of the top of the screen like it had this massive score readout and it had a massive timer that was counting down in milliseconds and so on and that kind of look of sort of really exaggerating elements of the interface to make it very very clear that you were playing a game that you were playing an arcade game they kind of carried that across right up until probably about the dreamcast era or so on. yeah so i think of something like um something like out trigger mm-hmm. which is a game that very few people have, have heard of. Um but um I I yeah, I, I associate like that aesthetic with stuff right up to out trigger and so on, sort of big numbers on screen, exaggerated interface elements, sort of big flashing arrows telling you to aim here, to go this way, to do that. And I mean I know we we take the piss out of that to a certain extent in like modern Call of Duties and stuff, but those Sega games were they were designed for that sort of arcade immediacy, like that pick up and play thing. And yeah. I think the aesthetic was a big part of that. There was the appealing music. There was the sort of large friendly letters on screen and that kind of thing and it was it was like a complete package that sort of welcomed you in to to play those games yeah
1: sega's never been one to approach their game design under the auspices that like we're going to try to create an immersive experience to you that you don't mm. you don't feel like you're playing a game like sega's sega's always you know some some developers these days are trying to try to escape the idea that they're playing that it's a game and they're trying to create an immersive experience yeah. but like sega has always been pretty comfortable reminding you that they make gamey games mm. like mechanically yeah. mechanically rich like you said big numbers everywhere like gamey games even you know like uh, if you play valkyria like you shoot you know when you shoot the opponents it's an rpg right so you've got the the numbers pop up over their heads and it's it's all yeah like it reminds you that you're playing a game pretty consistently and I and I enjoy that because I want to be playing
0: it. yeah yeah, absolutely So um, do we have a conclusion on uh, on our mind map of keywords related to Sega what do, what do we reckon?
1: Well, I think what I gather from it is that Sega has a clear picture of what they want to be and who they want to be and sega's fans Hmm. have a very different perception of who they used to be and who they are now and and i think there's probably a bit of a disconnect there that's not serving them
0: but do you think there's anything they could do to kind of fix that
1: well i think there's stuff
0: or do they do they need to fix it
1: I don't think companies need to do everything their fans want them to do. <laughs> like, they, like they have to, they have to do what, you know, they have to do what feels right to them and they have to continue to explore things in order to be financially viable. But at the same time, hmm. uh, you know, when you think about Sonic Mania, like that's an amazing game, but like yeah. it was like, they got people who were working on Sonic fan games to make this game. And it's one of their biggest success stories in years like so it's clear that they are in touch with what their fandom wants to a certain extent and 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 we're getting more and more Yakuza games in the West like I five years ago if you told me there was going to be a sixth Yakuza game and it was going to get confirmed for the West I never would have agreed with you like I never would have thought that as a possibility so I, I think more and more they're starting to listen to what their fan what their fans want and get in touch with that part of themselves it's just hard to walk that line like how do you walk that line between nostalgia and, and modernization it's very difficult mm.
0: and i think in general it's something a lot of companies have had to struggle with as they've got bigger i mean i one of the most interesting examples i find is looking back on on sort of activision of the 80s and activision of today and they're basically completely different companies yeah, and yeah. i th- Sega has had, obviously had to go through something very similar over the years with acquisitions and becoming more worldwide and, and that kind of thing. So,
1: But I don't know, in, in when you bring up companies like Activision, who've obviously approached things very differently than Sega, like this whole mind map thing that we're looking at with these words on it kind of takes on a, a more positive spin. I, in comparison to someone like Activision or EA or any of these big companies that we come to associate with, Triple A gaming these days, they haven't been afraid to completely jettison their old identities in order to make big bank. Mm. Whereas I feel like Sega's always done its part to respect its history and do what its fans want to do to a certain extent. Like have their have yeah. their games always been like the pinnacle of like ten out of ten quality in terms of like modern Sonic and stuff? No, is Sonic still around? Yes, and the fact that Sonic is even still around, even though he hasn't always been successful kind of says a lot to their desire to hold on to those old pieces of their core identity which is not something we see from bigger triple-a companies like activision or ea or Mm. what have you
0: all right okay that sounds like as good a place as any to uh to tail off that discussion so thank you very much for uh listening to us talk for however long it's been now um thank you chris for joining me for this discussion um do you want to tell people where to find you on the internet to check out your stuff and give you money yeah.
1: yes please give me money uh no i <laughs> i go by mr gilder pixels online pretty much everywhere m-r-g-i-l-d-e-r-p-i-x-e-l-s and that's across tumblr twitter and instagram and i also have my website mr dot so i'm readily available uh, follow me shoot me some comments i'd love to love to hear people are looking at my stuff and liking it so love to hear from you
0: wonderful and if you have come across this uh, externally from my website you can find all my writing about japanese games and visual novels and all sorts of other stuff over at moegamer.net that's m-o-e gamer.net thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time